space. The final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Adequate. Our ongoing mission until we are cancelled and replaced by something better. To review every Star Trek episode and movie in existence. To seek out new guests and make them incredibly uncomfortable. To boldly go where most other Star Trek YouTube shows have gone before. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, good morrow. Treks and Trekkers, non-Trekkers, nerdy up north, nuns, geeks, freaks and all around degenerates alike. I am your host, Captain Goodwill. And welcome to another exciting episode of Trekking Up North. Joining me, as ever, from the Starship Adequate is the handsomest Geesian from the planet Honk. It's Science Officer Sinois. Hello there. <laughs> Hello. I I quite like that you've upgraded it now from very uncomfortable to incredibly uncomfortable. Every week it will get worse and worse for our guests. That's why I know <laughs> it's endlessly cute. uncomfortable. Yes. Do you want to come on our show? Here's five seconds of it. Why does it say incredibly uncomfortable? Doesn't matter. <laughs> no reason. Ignore. We Just offer custard ahead. creams and t-shirts. Oh. Uh... <laughs> That's not custard. Anyway. Uh, hello. <laughs> I love it how we're both on the energy drinks today. It's been one of those days. To to like paraphrase that... uh, Star Trek Enterprise, it's been a long week. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah I, I love it. Um, I have a very difficult night because we've got this. We're doing this live now. And then yep. I'm going to be doing a Twitch stream from half nine uh, where we have pizza and stuff. And then I'm going to be on the Spectrum Sanctorum, uh, yes, Spectrum Sanctorum show off the shelf which will be coming out in a couple of weeks but we're recording it tonight so uh yeah it'll be a fun one so it's gonna be insane <laughs> you are gonna be dead because spectrum sanctorum is in the chat hi guys <laughs> hey guys it's gonna be nuts for sinoids over the next 24 hours <laughs> and then tomorrow all... i'm in drag i've got to sit in the cinema for like seven hours seven maybe? hours like, oh six hours i've got to do oh, oppenheimer. Seven. oppenheimer and barbie uh, dressed as Candy Snatch with a huge fake breast be breastplate on, which I hope it's, uh, I can't uh, even survive land. a club night uh, with one of them on, you know. And I'm going to be sitting in the cinema. Does Sanoi's so. need an approxin? Yes or no? I'm guessing <laughs> yes. It's Joe Dove in the chat. Hi, Joe Dove. It's Joe Dove. Hope you and are his well. magical teats. We've. <laughs> <laughs> We've got Beth as usual. Hi, Beth. We've got Peaches, 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 Peaches. <laughs> We've got Christopher Reed. I sincerely hope, Chris, I with with all my hope, that you gave Molly her Trekking Up North prize package and you did not keep it for yourself. Because, <laughs> oh. yes, we all saw the picture on the Nerdy Up North community this week. We've got oh, Ensign oh. Bailey in the chat. Hello there, Ensign Bailey. We've got the lovely, lovely Lee Davis, Daddy, in Daddy. the chat. We've got Nerdy Up North themselves. We've got the cult leader, Paul. And we have got the 16 and a half foot Viking musician god <laughs> that could... Drown anyone's pants. It's Adam who does all the themes for Nerdy Up North. Hello, my darling. I hope you're well. <laughs> I just like to say that I'm the straight guy here and I'm concerned by that. Yes, I, but... <laughs> I, I do have a confession tonight. I am homosexual. 
<laughs> I'm joking. I'm heterosexual. Is that worse? I'm heterosexual. Get off. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> heterosexual. On my podcast. Fuck off. Can you imagine the conversation with my parents? I have no son. Just <laughs> like. <laughs> You what? You're straight. Uh, well, you're gay, you can make the ass look better. I don't know. Adam could change me. <laughs> to be fair, we were talking about bloody uh, Sean when we're, when we're going to see Sean Farrick in a couple of weeks, <laughs> and I'm just like, he yes. he might be the one to put you on the turn. We we do. Think, oh my you're God. more excited about hanging out with Sean than I am. We will compare I'm uniforms. Like... <laughs> <laughs> we will have a pip off. Um, yes. Bit of breaking news. This is this is exclusive <laughs> trekking up north none news. Me and Sanois will be doing a is it a live episode? Probably. Of, it, be a live one. it will be a live episode of Trekking Up North from Annick Castle. Why are we at Annick Castle, Sanois? Uh, well, it's basically because the my two of my worlds have merged, have converged basically where uh, as the Velvet Snatch, I am there on the Saturday uh, for the final of Mr. Gay Great Britain uh, 2023 and MX, Gay, uh, MX Drag Great Britain uh, 2023. Um, yeah, at Annick Gardens. And basically because I'm pressed for it uh, as part of Girl Global, uh, they let me stay at the castle. But then they've extended it and uh, the organizers basically said, hey, do you just want to stay the week? in in the castle and i'm like yeah go on <laughs> so i'll be sort of randomly involved but then because i'm going to be there on friday and sean's there for uh what culture mm-hmm. uh, and i was just like going okay how about you come down we do an episode with Stu, with Stu, sean and us and then you can fuck off and i can stay in a castle <laughs> yes i can fuck off as he so eloquently put it to the premiere of inns but yes, we will have a live episode of Trekking Up North with the delectable Sean Ferrick and the amazing, as what I've heard, hardcore Trekkie that is... What's his name again? Stuart Hatton. Stuart Hatton Stuart Jr. Hatton. He is former Mr. Gay World, I think. Wow. Uh, he's a, he's an absolute class act and he's a legend in the Trek uh, community as well. I so can't it's like, wait. It's, it's the sort of thing, it's, it's just wonderful. There's a lot of us... There's a lot of us like hom trekkies, and I quite like it. <laughs> good, it's it's a good way to be. But yes, we will be doing that on the twenty fifth of August, I believe. Product mm-hmm. placement for Monster. There, shout out to Red Bull. Sorry, yeah, yeah, we're just doing it. Please yeah, sponsor us. <laughs> Still needs absolute final confirmation because most yes. of it's happening, but it's basically, uh, you know, subject to conditions. I think, of uh, course. So watch yeah. this space, guys. So. <laughs> That, that is very exciting. And also, I don't know if you've noticed, our wonderful cult leader, Paul, on the Nerdy Up North community, is promoting a 24-hour charity stream in a few months' time, where we are of the firm belief he is trying to kill his staff. <laughs> because he's like, I know you work all the way through the week, but how about the Saturday, the day of rest? You die. Uh, doing 24 hours of streaming, of gaming, of trekking up north, monsters up north, the nerdy up north main podcast, guest interviews, random phone-ins. It's going to be an interesting one. Especially when we think of what happened when I did my 24-hour stream with Ian and we all went a bit nuts by about like hour 16, I think. There was so much McDonald's consumed. So much McDonald's consumed. (laughs) 
disappointing McDonald's, I'm going to say. They are. Really... Cookie Puss, that's, yeah. a, that's a shame. That is... No, it wasn't. It wasn't. McDonald's was fine. It was the, uh, what What was it? The Greggs. We ordered like a Chinese. We oh, ordered like a Chinese right. in the morning and it was awful. And I was just like, nah, mate. <laughs> nah. <laughs> but the offer is out there while Spectrum Sanctorum is in the chat. If any of you guys at Spectrum Sanctorum would like to be a guest on our charity stream, please slide into our DMs and we will talk <laughs> about it off screen. However, Sinoise, we are here to review episode eight of Star Trek Strange New World season two. Yeah. So shall we get into what is arguably one of the better episodes of the season? Well, I, I think that I think the hilarious thing is watching because I, I basically I hedge my bets. I don't say this is the best, whereas you do. And then you get bested where you go, oh, that was the best episode ever. And then the next week you're like, I'm, that was the best episode ever. I'm, and then the next week you're like, ah. <laughs> you know, I'm, so I'm, basically we've got another amazing episode of Strange New Worlds. And just like, you know, when you take risks with a show mm-hmm. and yet you pull it off really well. Like, what has this season been? We literally had a very serious episode of the show, followed by the Lower Decks episode, which is like crazy comedy madness. Then we had, uh, then we had like this episode, which is up there with like in the pale moonlight, maybe for like the seriousness. I'm gonna, I'm gonna name an episode for you. Yeah, but how brutal it is! And then next week we've got a musical episode, so you just kind of go like. How is this feeling consistent? Like it feel it's so weird that the show can just go uh, comedy serious, comedy serious, and still work rather than being a jumbled mess, you know. But this is a testament to the writers and a testament to what true Star Trek is, where it has the mm. ability to pivot the tone of the show on a dime week after week. And I'm going to it's mention it's like they should be paying the writers properly. Or well, something, this this like, is because they're so good. They should be. Funny you them should a lot say money, that. Funny you should yeah. say that because I believe that the writers and actors are all on strike because those guys need to be paid a fair goddamn wage so paramount pictures if you are listening if you want more of these fantastic brilliantly written brilliantly acted episodes pay your goddamn (laughs) staff because you will lose them yeah, and stop trying to work out shitty ways to break the strike. Because some yes. of the stuff they've been pulling, where you literally just go, this does not make you look good no. at all. Like, you're literally sitting there being like, well, that's a good way to get people to uh, cancel their Paramount Plus. You know, that's a, you know, because there's nothing wrong with the actual content of stuff. But the fact is, people are just going to torrent it if uh, Paramount Plus, you know, if, if they can't get it on Paramount Plus because they've cancelled it. So it's, As. As you, as you might or might not know, we are British, so we are not obviously related to SAG-AFTRA or the WGA, obviously, right? It's Guild of America. I don't know her. No, neither do I. However, we at Nerdy Up North are in full support of SAG-AFTRA and the WGA strikes. We believe they should be paid a fair wage. We will continue to review Star Trek all the new Star Trek because we believe reviewing this highlights why these actors and these writers deserve to be paid fairly and tret rightly and basically just tret like humans and not undermined and not replaced by AI. So we will continue to review. We do have uh, going forward, we will have an actual 
I can't believe I'm saying this. We do have someone who has been in this episode of Strange New Worlds <laughs> who may want to come on to a future episode after the strike has ended because yeah. he has shown solidarity, which absolutely 100% Rightly support. So. But yes, I'm going to mention an episode to you right now before we get into this. And this all the way through, it reminded me the siege of AR558 from Deep Space yeah. Nine. The, the, see, and it's the idea of like how beautifully this matches up to it, where obviously we, because we get like, I get a bit annoyed because I, as in DS9, I'm not a fan of uh, Vic. I'm not actually a fan of Vic Fontaine, wow. and I know that they really desperately wanted him in, and he was planned from the start and mm -hmm. stuff, but I wasn't a fan of him. But then the episode that's amazing with him is the episode following on from this, where yeah. Nog comes home. Because in the Siege episode, where we actually have Nog as like, kind of like, a, he's very green, he's like a rookie, and yet he goes through that horrendous battle that is portrayed really, really well. And harrowing. pretty harrowing. Yeah. You know, and it, and it's a bit scary, though, because it's like, you know, and then obviously we get to see a wonderful example of sort of like PTSD from uh, from Nog in that later episode. But yeah. then this one, I think this one does it better, if I'm perfectly honest, because mm -hmm. I think in um, I think in DS9, everyone's kind of used to it. It's only Nog and uh, Quark that's like a fish out of water. Whereas like, you know, O'Brien's like, oh, done this before. This is war. And so is Cisco. Whereas in this one, you get the impression you get Chapel, but you also get Mbenga, where you can tell that he's not okay under the surface, and you can tell that everyone else is freaking out, and it's it's a very powerful episode that we've just had. <laughs> we will we are getting into season two, episode eight, under the cloak of war. So the show opens, uh, Stardate 1875.4. Uh, the Enterprise has entered the Prospero system, which is a system that has been at war with each other. There's, th there's three civilizations in this system, and they've been at war with each other. However, a Federation ambassador has negotiated a peace treaty between all three parties, and the Enterprise is here to escort uh, the ambassador to a starbase. The twist of it is the ambassador for the Federation is a Klingon. Now, for those who never saw Star Trek Discovery, uh, the opening of Star Trek Discovery starts with the beginning of the Klingon War. So the Klingon War uh, was instigated, and that's what kicked off Star Trek uh, Discovery Season 1. Mm. There was this all-out massive war. It kind of kicked off Star Trek. Like, the original series was very much kind of in that, hey, this is the universe you live in, like, you know... Yeah, yeah, it was... I, I don't think there was a... There was, there was mentions of it in the original series, but Discovery sort of went, hey, this was a full-on bloody war that lasted mm. for a year or two, and 100 million people died. Pretty harrowing, pretty bloody. Mm. So the... Klingons and the Federation were at war. They are now at peace. There was a ceasefire. They now, you know, they are at peace. There's a, I believe there's a neutral zone. Um, if I, if I'm mistaken about that, forgive me. However, this strange new world takes place five years, four or five years after the Klingon Federation war. So the wounds are still there, and it's difficult mm. to heal in such a short space of time. So the ambassador that they are beaming up is a Klingon, Ambassador Ra. 
Mm. He was a general who defected to the Federation and he's been escorted by the Enterprise to a starbase to another peace conference. So he beams Wait, at on. this point the Klingons haven't joined the Federation. No, they haven't. No, the Klingons never actually joined the Federation. Um, mm. They were sort but of. They had the Kitamar Accords, which was like a peace. They were peace like allies. Yeah. Never, yeah, yeah, but yeah. They were never actually part of the Federation. Yeah, so they, they were like they, they were allies after the Kitamar Accords because that was the the Romulan attack, um, at Kitamar. Mm. So um, there, there was. Uh, Star Trek's got a lot of history with the Federation <laughs> yeah, yeah. and the Klingons, and it's a bit complex, but basically there was this huge war, and then there was sort of a very cold war between the Federation and the Klingons all the way through the original series mm. and through the movies. Undiscovered country, really, if you want to see a perfect depiction of what the Cold War was like in the 80s and the 90s between the East and the West, watch Star Trek VI, The Undiscovered Country, because Nicholas mm. Meyer just nailed it <laughs> yeah. absolutely nailed it so yes Ra beams onto the Enterprise we do get the little bosun whistle which I do like you know when there's well, a what I want to do before this is in the recap where basically in hmm. right at the start of the episode where it just goes hey here's the important bits of previous episodes you need to uh, know we get a nod to Discovery we actually get some footage from Discovery shown in this and I thought that was great because it's the fact of discovery is a hard thing to reference. We're talking about all the stuff that happens in Enterprise that gets mentioned in this. We're talking about all the stuff like the DS9 references and there's a few in this one. And so it was kind of nice being like, hey, an acknowledgement of yeah. discovery. Like, even though you can't really directly have too much involvement with it because of it being a branching timeline. It's um, so that, yeah, so the first two series... Uh, first two seasons of Discovery takes place before uh, Strange New Worlds. So it's nice that they showed the Battle of the Binary Stars, which is the opening two episodes mm. of season one of Discovery, which basically kicked off the uh, Klingon War. Um, again, let's not forget, this kicked off because of one singular person's actions as well mm. uh, in, in Star Trek Discovery, which, again, is never really discussed in Strange New Worlds. Yeah. Um. So I'm sort of good. They. I'm glad they stay away from it. I'm glad there's no I, mention of that person. I. I, I without think giving spoilers, obviously. It, it might. It might be that they're kind of going. Maybe we don't want to enshrine that in canon. Yeah. Or everything. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I think, I think there's a. But that's why it was nice to get an acknowledgement of discovery because I think a lot of people are kind of holding it in that kind of do we can we bring this in which is nasty towards discovery but at the same time i think you know it's controversial i think the first two series did what they could did their absolute very best and then the obviously the reason why they did such a shift for season three four and obviously five is because they had so many issues that they were like hey we we, we find this too constricting let's do this shift and but the the like the the sad irony is strange new worlds has come along and went hey this we're a prequel show and look how well we are pulling it off well that's it i mean you know i'll probably be mentioning it later on on the podcast with uh with everyone at Spe spectrum sanctorum but when you try to free yourself from uh the constraints of a property or a franchise 
it never ends well, really. No. As soon as you go like, oh, let's make a remake, but we'll just ignore everything that made the original good, that always falls apart, you know. And, you know, Games Workshop had it with, like, where they went, oh, well, we're too restricted by what we can do with Warhammer Fantasy. Let's kill it off and make a new property. And then no one gives a shit about it, well, you know, law-wise. So... And everyone's still talking about the previous thing. So it's that idea of they did all that with with Discovery, and yet the stuff that's still bringing people in and making people more most excited is Picard Season 3, Strange New Worlds, you know, Prodigy from what we're seeing from the air. Uh, Incredible love uh, for Prodigy lately. Uh, over 30,000 sig- signatures and Paramount have actually recognised the, the demand for Prodigy. Mm. Um, what I will say, obviously, before we get in as well, during this, this Klingon war, uh, the Enterprise was deliberately kept away so the Enterprise and other starships like it were deliberately kept away from the battlefront because if anything did go wrong, they had their best and their brightest away so they could not mm. be compromised, they couldn't be killed, destroyed, taken over or anything like that. So when the Enterprise came back, there was a, you know, there was roster changes, crew changes. So as Pike says in his log, there is a mix of non-veterans and war veterans. So when this Klingon beams aboard... There is apprehension on the ship because obviously there is a mix of people who never even encountered Klingons, never even saw Klingons or saw battle. And then those ones that were hardened um, veterans, you know, hardened soldiers of the war who saw so much action and so much trauma that even the sight of a Klingon could trigger them, which we see because Ra beams aboard and he wants a tour of the ship. Yeah, And then we see Ortegas having sort of like a minor argument with Uhura because Uhura is like, well, Raz, he's an ambassador and he's done peace and he's done all these peace negotiations and done this and, and Ortegas, you know, Ortegas being a war veteran is like, well, he was... I, I I think Ortegas has the best line here where, you know, uh, Una, like, no, um, Uhura lists off all of her, like, all of his achievements and stuff and, like, Ortegas is just like, oh, so he's done some stuff, but, yeah. you know, it's just like, and that's just a th- immediately yeah. dismissing it, but but it does a really good job of making the tension clear in this scene where you have it where I felt really distrusting of him because they they had him act in a in a way and they had people react to him in a certain way and the whole vibe that you get from him is oh he's a spy like oh he could be a spy don't trust him and that's exactly what they're going for yeah over the course of the episode because no one trusts him. Like they're kind of going, oh well, the higher ups have said he's okay, so we're going with that. But because you know. because even Ortega said, like at at one of the battles, he killed his own men so he could mm. escape, and she references him as the butcher of Jugal. Mm. As she mentions the butcher of Jugal, he walks onto the bridge, and Una immediately goes into first officer mode, captain on deck or captain on the bridge. Well, I think the scariest thing is that Ortega is still having her rant about yeah. how bad he is when he steps onto the bridge. So he hears all of it before oh, yeah. Una silences her. And it's that idea of just being like, but you get the impression that he gets that a lot. You know, he's very yes. calm. He's very collected. His whole presence is someone who is not very Klingon. They are very ambassadorial. And I think it's very strange. <laughs> seeing that he um he reminds me of the klingon ambassador from the star trek movies mm. uh from undiscovered country star trek 4 and stuff like that very Which ambassadorial. Admittedly is a lot later than this yes like it's it's kind of common 
at that point in the timeline. Whereas here, the idea of a Klingon being civil this close after the war is people aren't buying it at all. Yeah, it, it, it it's it's because at this time all people of the Federation have seen are warriors. They have not seen the diplomats. The Klingons are very diverse. Uh, we see that all the way through Star Trek, but obviously at this point, all you see are the warriors. So that's all the Federation can sort of label them as mm. a warriors. And even he mentions it in the next scene when they go to the bar, and Spock's trying to replicate a Raktagino shout out to DS9. Yeah. Which is a great one. It is a great <laughs> Bringing one. Bringing them into the, yeah. uh, the main canon. He's, he's <laughs> trying to replicate a Raktagino, uh, which is a Klingon coffee, if anyone knows. And you can make it for real. All you need is uh, mocha cinnamon and uh something else that i can't remember but i have made it and it is blood it's lush that's all I'm I, i'll say. have to try one of them i i thought they were meant to be like blow your socks off like they're meant to be really really strong the coffee yeah so you have to have like a probably skull crusher uh okay, to, right. to, with a bit of cinnamon and stuff like that so spock's trying to replicate a raktagino in honor of uh ambassador ra and Spock being Spock, obviously he wants to get to know Klingon culture. And at this point, Ra does exactly what we said here. There is not much to understand. We are, uh, what was it? He's, uh, we are a warmongering race limited mm. by our own ideology. Yeah. And it's like, okay. Spock replicates the Rakshagino, tries to get mm. a hold of it, and it burns him. And you can feel that instinctive Klingon try and come out. Well, what what they what they have is basically the ambassador tries to pick up the um, uh, the Raktagino. It is mm. way too hot for him, and he burns his hand. And then there's a flash; his eyes flash red, and he's just got this momentary flash of absolute insane rage. And it it goes away instantly, but it makes you just go, "Oh, oh, it's an act," or "Oh, it's oh still yeah, there. yeah." But it's almost so, primordial. It's almost like instinctive yeah. that and he it, and goes it's this idea of. You know, his whole thing that we learn over the course of this episode is that he is very much a Klingon trying not to be a Klingon because he feels like it's what they need. Like, it's a survival instinct of going, look, we're not going to do very well if we stay being a warmongering race. And yet we see here that when it comes down to it, he would chop someone's head off in that moment, you know. But when they get to sickbay to treat his wounds and Benga mm. sees him and immediately... Umbenga is overwhelmed, and I, I mean, I mean, I'm gonna say that Umbenga, and and forgive me, I can't remember his his name at the moment, but the actor who plays Umbenga all the way through this episode, holy shit, what a performance, yeah. all the way through. I I love how remember what I said when we first started Strange New Worlds, and I was like, I don't know how I feel about Mbenga. Mm. His voice did kind of grate on me. I didn't yeah. like it. Where it was like a kind of whispered, and it it felt like he needed like some calpol, or he needed like a sort of mint. You know, he needed can, like a I sort can of, sort uh, of. I could sort of justify it after this episode to be like wait, he's wait, become wait, a pacifist wait. and quiet. Yeah, I got I got used to it. Like it's the fact yeah, that yeah. his voice did kind of wind me up, like to start with, and now I'm just like I love him. Like the same as everyone. Like mm. there's no one in the cast I don't like, and you know, and it's so good that like how strong are these characters? But literally the... any of them, you just go. Here's an Una episode. It's amazing. Here's an Uhura episode. It's amazing. Here's an Ortegas episode. Not yet, but the better we one fucking. Damn thing. it! Hurry up with this Ortegas <laughs> episode. I need more Erica. 
But yeah, and then I get this amazing Omega like episode and Chapel episode, I guess, but it's not mainly. But it's yeah. But it's the it's the way it, he displays how freaked out he is, and it's wonderfully done. Where he's having heart palpitations, the crushing anxiety, wonder, yeah, crushing anxiety. Where he's got this, he's got this favorite. Is it a what is it he's holding? It's a. It's sort it's of a like a it? no. It's it's sort of like a a wrench. Yeah, it's it's because he's he's, he's fixing Biobed too. Yeah, he's, but it's throughout the episode he basically has this, and he's clutching onto it. And it's almost like sort of not a totem, but like a sort of safety blanket that he's got. And it's this wonderful portrayal of being a veteran and this PTSD. And it's just so wonderfully done. Like, you know, because he is, he's freaking out. And and Pike notices, but like we just basically get Mbenga trying to get himself under control because he was not expecting this. Because he takes he, he takes it very hard. Weird. Yeah, yeah, he has worked very hard to suppress all of the horrors that he saw in this war, and then he's literally facing one of the main culprits yeah. of all of his torment, and he's expected to help him. You know, it's that's that's the plot basically. So the next scene we do get. Uh, also, guys in the chat, Beth, Sarah, if anyone writes this fan fiction, I will narrate it. I will narrate it for you in my best narrator voice. God, are you on about <laughs> this fan fiction again? Yeah. Hi, uh, serious note the next scene we do get um, the, 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 the beginnings of what happened on Jagal a few years ago during the Klingon war so we see sh uh, a shuttle entering the moon chapel on board uh, how are you going to how, how are you going to land in this combat zone oh, we're just going to beam you as we're flying past mm. you know basically they are hot dropping chapel so they hot yeah. drop her onto the uh, into the outfit, which I've I've noted down. I'm just going to call it mash, because that's yeah. what it is. It's a mash outfit. Let's be honest. It's a it's a military um, military aid surgical, and it's it's wonderfully done because this scene we have because I wrote down in my notes why are they teleporting one person, and it's basically the episode is going because med officers are this important. Yeah, like literally the pilots of the ship they're getting shot at they're at massive risk to themselves like two pilots and the rest of the crew purely just to get chapel in where she's needed most and it points out how desperate this war is and and the outfits are great because i found it a good sort of thing because we're used to the star trek we have in strange new world next gen ds9 where they're not at war for the most part mm. and it's casual they're explorers so they're wearing like lovely like what you're wearing they're basically wearing these like cloth outfits and stuff and there's no anything like that what they're wearing here is war outfits they are wearing like it's hard leather it's designed to basically be tough wearing and look more serious than their usual stuff it's not casual at it's all soldiers all it's soldiers outfits it's yeah, combat I, gear yeah, and that's the thing, and obviously it's like it's crazy that the Klingon War happens before the original series, where basically the we have to learn how to fight, we have to learn how to defend ourselves. Then we have years of peace, which is TNG essentially, and then when we get back to war in DS Nine, people have forgotten how to do it again, and they're like, "Oh shit, how do we war? How do we how do we defend ourselves?" Well, if again? you th if you think and about it, it's this crazy thing of how society works that in cycles. If you think about it, in, in Star Trek history, they had the Earth-Romulan War of the 2150s, and then nothing for 100 years yeah, until... Yeah, it wasn't against themselves. Yeah, until, until the Klingon, yeah, until the Klingon War. 
So it's sort of like, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with that. But they they hot drop her into this outfit. Who greets her? The veteran Star Trek royalty that is Clint Howard. Who has been with in... With a limp. With a limp. Who has been in... Uh, forgive me, I believe every Star Trek series from the original series up to Enterprise... And yeah. Strange New Worlds. Now, when I mean he was in the original series, if anyone saw the episode uh, where they exchange Tranya, and it's a young kid, that is Clint Howard. He's, he's come a long way. He has. If <laughs> if if you think Jeffrey Combs is is Trek royalty, Clint Howard is sort of like he was. He's the bane. So he's like, I was born into Trek. I was murdered <laughs> by it. I was molded by it. <laughs> I I did not see sci-fi until I was murdered. It's but it's <laughs> he. Holy shit! D- just to see Clint Howard, and I'm like, fuck me! They are bringing in the heavy guns. With that, and it's it's how good he is. Like as a character, he is a guy who has just been there forever, and it's and it's kind of terrifying. He's he's kindly chilling like as in chilling as in horrible like yeah um, where basically he's just apathetic towards everything he's literally like oh well the previous doctor died oh the previous nurse died you're in charge of all the nurse you know you're the head nurse now oh we don't have any of this kind of thing just make the best with it oh they'll probably be attacking soon we'll probably all be dead by tomorrow so yeah just carry on and you're like and he just does it so casually so jovially that you realize that he is just he is being in. He is fully expecting to be dead he, very he, soon, and it's kind of terrifying. He was in. Uh, he was Balok in the Carbonite Maneuver in the original mm-hmm. series when he was a kid. You know, oh, let's just kick back and have some Tranya. Um, he was Grady in Deep Space Nine in Past Tense Part Two. He was Muck in Enterprise's Acquisition. He was in Star. I didn't know that one. I did not know. Yeah, that one. he was in Star Trek Discovery. Will you take my hand? He was, and I'm quoting this creepy orion <laughs> and obviously he's book martinez uh in uh this episode of strange new worlds but he is he is trek royalty guys so if you ever see clint howard it's like oh damn they are like bringing out if you see jeffrey combs yeah. you know that star trek is perfection because if you get we're gonna get do you reckon we're gonna get jeffrey combs we've had him in lord x we need him in live action we do need him in live oh, action. He needs to come back. Oh, they better fucking do it. They've got two episodes left after this. What if he's in the musical one? <gasps> what if? Have you seen the trailer for season four? I'm sure Jeffrey Combs can sing. Have oh, seen, my God. Have you, have you seen the trailer for season four, Lord X? No, no. I haven't watched it yet. Okay. Obviously, Lord X does a lot of DS9 references. Mm. What if he's Liquidator Brunt? FCA. Yeah, I'll be so oh, good. <laughs> Combs need to come back. Yeah, get another petition going, guys. Get Jeffrey yeah. Combs back in. I'm sure they're on top of it. Yeah. Like, so seriously, from what what they, what Terry Metalis has done and what they've done with Strange New World thus far, by purely having this guy in, <sighs> you just like going. I'm pretty sure it's on their list. It's probably just Jeffrey Combs fitting it into his schedule. You know. I'm kicking myself now because the shuttle pods got Terry Metalis on this week, and yeah. they were asking for questions, and I was I was. Re- Racking my brain for a question. My question should have been, would you bring back Jeffrey Combs? God damn it. Imagine. I would... You know what? I would actually kill to have Wayun. Or again. Shran. 
from Enterprise. Shran Weyun. Shran might be dead. No, he's not in Enterprise. No, no, but I mean, like. But if they go in... back to Enterprise. That's oh, if I mean. they go back, yeah, if they go back. But obviously, like, Whiff is, like, one that's set in the future. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, 200 yeah, yeah. years. I don't think I'm You could still do Liquidator Brunt in Legacy. Yeah, you could do you could do Brunt. You could do Weyun because. Or someone new. Beta Cannon, he does come back. Yeah, so again. Yeah. But yeah, if you yeah, haven't, anyway, if you haven't seen, distracted. yeah, yeah, if Sorry you haven't seen the, uh, isn't a massive trekkie. If you haven't seen the trailer for, uh, for for Lord X season four, go and watch it because <laughs> you need to do scene by scene for that because holy shit, the people that are coming back, I think Sonoise is going to be, we're going to need a wet floor sign when he watches yeah. Lord. X. I I do know two of these. Someone messaged me earlier today telling me that uh, what is it? Uh, Le- uh, yeah, Lena. Yeah. Le- well, yeah. no, it's not a name. Uh, Roman, Roman Lita. Roman yeah, so that'll be great. But I yeah, can't anyway. wait for that. Anyway, yes, yes, yes. So Good. Chapel beams down to the the outfit. Um, uh, Martinez book is is taking her around and basically saying, "Look, this is the outfit. This is all we have got. We have got nothing. We have got no organ regenerator." And she's like, "Well, I need to report to the head nurse. Congratulations, you're the head nurse. I had to pull strings to get you here, so I fucking promoted you because I needed your ass here because you have got the experience." And it's like, how dire is a situation where it's like we need her, but the only way to get her is to promote her to get her into the battlefield. Holy yeah. shit! I will say the only flaw in this episode, and I will say this all the way, the uniforms are wrong. Every patch okay. says USS Enterprise on it. Mm. Mm. Does it? Yeah, well, from having a look in 4K, some a lot of them said Enterprise, and there was a lot of red know. and yellow and blue and stuff like that. But anyway, so... There's probably a reason. Yeah, yeah. Maybe. So, yeah. Book's taken her to Tent City, as he's showing her around, she goes, who's that? And he only sees a pair of feet. And it's he goes, oh, that that's Joseph. That's that's the doctor of the outfit. Yeah. There's then an alarm, incoming transport of patients. Shit's starting to happen. So, again, guys, if you've seen MASH, this means the helicopters are coming in with the patients. Incoming mm. transport. They're beaming in people from the battlefield who are in dire need. Holy shit. I mean, they... Chapel and Umbenga are just, yeah, they need to go to here, they need to go to the burn ward, he's got shell shock. The last one that beams in, where you can actually see, is exposed intestines. Yeah. For a Star Trek show, that's pretty out there. Well, yeah, that's it. And and it's the fact of how fucked he is. Like, where they basically just go... You know, and and obviously Umbenga's just like, oh god. Uh, but then Chapel's like, oh cool, we'll just we'll just get him into surgery. And then Umbenga's like, no, there's no organ. Dude, we have nothing. We have absolutely no way to save this guy. He will just die. And then um, Umbenga suggests a solution, which is which is my gripe of the episode. I love it, but I I, I have a gripe with it. But Ooh. it's basically if they store him in the transport buffer. And what the transport buffer is, is basically when you teleport someone, it gets the scan of them, basically makes a, effectively turns them into code and then stores that into the computer and then pastes it somewhere else. So basically pastes it to another transporter somewhere. And then once that's done, it deletes the copy it has there. 
like a file on a computer, like putting something on your Google Drive. Did you ever think that Sonoid? Did you ever think that Sonoid would be doing track tech instead of me? I'm loving this. I know, I know. This is the only thing I fucking understand. But yeah, but basically, what they do instead is they basically keep. They go, hey, we can keep him in the buffer. So basically, keep him as a file in the computer system, and then. And there, therefore, he's not bleeding. He's not actually in existence. In order, he's like in stasis, so that when they do get out of there, they can just download him again, teleport him, and then get him to a surgery. And I love this. I I think this is a wonderful thing, and it shows how it shows how Umbenga is so good at battlefield medicine because we have it where we we have his drug that he invented later that we've already seen earlier on in the no season one, wasn't it? Season um, one no, season two drug. put the, the, the drug. It was the opening for season two. No, I thought it was the... Oh, no, sorry, I'm thinking of the episode where... When they go all freebird from Kingsman. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, but, but it's already been there. But this is another thing that he's done. And I'm a bit annoyed by this. This is because this was originally done by Scotty in the series, in Trek. So basically in the TNG episode where they bring Scotty back, they he stores he survives for like a hundred years by storing himself in a transport buffer because they get stranded so he just goes oh we'll just keep the power on and i'll just stay in a computer until someone rescues us and it was seen as genius there where they were like whoa who would ever do this what a brilliant idea and i think by taking it further back in order for it to be done at this time it's a bit like i don't know it kind of takes something away from that i'm guessing I think. So, so to come... I love it, but at the same time, I like it that Scotty invented it. So, later. To, so to come to this theory, I, I mean, I, I have a theory. Mm. I have it because obviously Scotty is alive during this era, and he is already a genius in um, engineering. Before he went to the mm. Enterprise, he had theories on transport technology and everything like that. I believe that although it wasn't common knowledge. Certain people knew how to do it, like Umbenga, like Scotty. However, regulation stipulated, sort of like modern-day health and safety, you can't do that. And like Lee's just basically said there, Lee, you're spot on with this because this is also an in-universe theory where a lot of people wouldn't use a transport. McCoy said this as well, where if you use a transporter, you are essentially killing a copy, killing the original and replacing it with a copy somewhere else. That theory, Lee, is, it's in Star Trek and it's also in real life because transporters are real in a sense where they can transport atoms. And the theory is, are you actually transporting said atom or are you, like Sinois has said, downloading it as a digital copy and then replicating that in another location? Yeah. It, it is. It, it's the, it kills you, basically. Yeah. It, it, it destroys everything that is, but then makes an exact copy. Because obviously it's like, hey, the, the, the smell of you, the actual the state of your brain, your you know the state of your body and everything. Like, as we saw in Picard Season 3, you can basically change people. So you can basically take stuff out. You can, like, cure illnesses. You can remove stuff from them. So, for yeah. instance, we have it where weapons are removed. So basically it makes a copy of you with all of your weapons and stuff and then basically downloads you remakes you but then takes your weapons off you and stuff because it reads I mean, it reads it where the atoms are it reads the position yeah. now again a bit it, of it's like copying a file yeah effectively but obviously on where 
rather than every byte of the file it's, it's every an atomic atom. level yeah. <laughs> yeah but there is i mean real world science the heisenberg uncertainty principle where you can never fully determine the location of every single you know any given atom at any mm. given time that's why we don't have transporters now because atoms move all the time so for for a machine to detect where everything is and where it is going to be would be impossible trek get well, around that. i think ai could do it but you would have to no, guesstimate it's, i think it's, what you yeah it's what impossible you would do is you'd basically work out roughly and then what the oh, what's it called the 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 range of failure i forgot what you call it basically the the mar- you know, the, yeah. the margin of error yeah, the margin error. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. Where it's the idea of you would basically do that. Like the same way that you'd replicate something, you'd be like, oh, well, okay, this bit's not that important. But that, that's, that's a scary thing, though. And it's effectively, that's what Trek is doing. You but know, you, um... nailed, you nailed it on the head there because we did have the, the Heisenberg compensator, which is what people on, on the next oh, generation, right. this is what scientists who works on the next generation got around because they were like, well, we've got this theory. We can't do it. And they went, oh, we'll just have the Heisenberg compensator which is an ai which determines and predicts the exact position of all uh atoms at any given time yeah. but like a transporter they can, if you are diseased you can step into the transporter and if they've got a recent file of you they can just essentially control z mm. your body yeah. to get rid of the i mean they don't go into it because it is a, a bit of a plot hole and a bit of a plot yeah. nightmare to do that but with the transporter and Benga, like I said, I think well, they they said this is possible, but it is not recommended, and we do not allow it because it, it, it's literally the idea of if something goes wrong with the computer, then it's fucked. Because the whole yeah. thing about computers is if some, like for instance, you have a file on your computer. If something happens to your hard drive, it's gone. Like yeah. yeah. Because even if a fragment of the thing gets corrupted, you might lose everything. That's the problem we have with a lot of solid state kind of thing. Well, a lot of ways of uh, formatting your computer basically just go, hey, we stored everything in massive blocks, which makes it much faster. But if one problem happens with them, it fucks up that entire block. Anyway, let's not talk and about And imagine it. the defragmentation we'll of a transporter. Yeah. Fuck a that. person, Christ. But imagine uh, you'd get two Vox. Uh, no, two, two Vix. Vix. There we go. Oof. But anyway, um, Adam Bailey's asked a very good uh, thing there where he said there's an episode of TNG where you see an entire transport from Barclay's point of view and he is conscious the whole time. Yes. I don't think he's conscious the whole time. No, I he is. He's basically, no, no, but I mean, like, I think basically for the sake of the episode, it prolongs how long that you're aware that you're being transported. Yes. So, you know, we kind of see it as like a second where it's like you fade out, uh, you know, whereas for him, basically in order to kind of show that there's something moving around rather than it just being on film being like, oh, there we go. Because he can, he can see it, tell it's moving, tell it's there or, you know, have it latch onto him. But, you know, yeah, uh, but I don't think he's conscious of the entire process but it's extended for the episode but um what was it there was is it something else i'm thinking of where they basically had someone oh no it's moriarty isn't it where he's like i remember being in your computer and i was fully conscious yes, throughout the whole thing Professor moriarty. we don't know if he's lying so we don't know if that's actually true or if he was just you know <laughs> like you know just saying it in order to get sympathy we, we did a review of that uh, if you want to go back to to watch that, go on the Star Trek and playlist on YouTube. However, hey. back back to Strange New Worlds, present day Enterprise. Can I just point out how much fucking memory must be in these computers? Like, imagine, like my computer has like a sort of 
four terabyte drive in it or something, which isn't too much in the scheme of things now. But it's the fact of, imagine how much a person would be if you had to track every fucking atom. I'm sure they were on about you know? something like TerraQuads or something like yeah. that, yeah. And this one here, the scariest thing about this, as we'll see as the episode goes on, the thing that chilled me to the bone in this episode, is that the way Umbenga talks about it, it sounds like there's more people in there. It sounds like he's used this technique already in this deployment, and that there might be a lot of people actually stored in the buffer. Uh, you know, and this is a common thing that he's doing until they actually get more help. And that's kind of scary how much memory there must be <laughs> to store all of these people. So, back yeah, to, anyway, I'll let you get on. <laughs> back to present day Enterprise, a few hours after the ambassador has arrived. Umbenga is fixing by bed too, who keep it keeps going down after they had a gone attack in season one, so he keeps constantly having to fix it. Pike walks in and asks for some Delton parsley because he is arranging a dinner in honour of the ambassador and he would like Umbenga and Chapel to be there. He knows how uncomfortable they both are with them being war veterans and he levels with them and he basically says, look, there have been protests about Ambassador Ra on previous postings and Starfleet is eager and the Federation is eager that veterans interact with Ra, who is a Klingon, to show a sign of unity and, a, and, a, a, and an image of no matter what happened in the past, we can put it behind us and work forward for a common goal, which is admirable for the Federation, but obviously as they are war veterans and it is still easier said than, easier done. Said than done. And it is very, very raw, which we will learn throughout the episode. Umbenga, naturally, he is there for Pike, so he agrees chapel agrees and umbenga says to chapel i don't want to give ra the satisfaction of chasing me away from the captain's table mm. and i'm like this guy as we've seen already this klingon gives him massive palpitations massive yeah. ptsd and it's taking every bit of his will to get to this dinner and get through it Another flashback to Jagal, where Mbenga and Chapel are operating on a young ensign whose uh, pulse stops, his heart stops. And as they are doing surgery, Chapel goes, what do I do, what do I do? And Mbenga just straight away, get in there, massage his heart with your fingers. Massage it. Literally, it's so brutal that Chapel basically has to put a hand inside this guy and squeeze his heart. Basically pump his heart until it starts working again because they don't they can't you know he's wide open they literally can't use the electro stimulators yeah. uh, what are they called the defibrillators the, the fib, i'm not saying that but the fibrillators the fibrillator the buzzy there ones <laughs> yeah the, the buzzy sticks there we go oh. yeah but uh... uh and just how scary this is but she does it and it actually works. We get a pulse going. And then basically what they do is they stabilized him. They've got his pulse going. And then they go, right, cool, dermal team. And, that's and they the move on to the next one. Yeah, who ba- the dermal team come in and basically give him skin again. So yeah. all of the area where he's had like half of his chest blown out or whatever, they basically just patch him up and then he's good to go again, which yeah. is terrifying. And then, like you say, Umbenga and Chapel move on to the next patient. It's, it's, it's shown as very visceral, this whole thing. It's, it's like a it's... little... It's visceral, but it's, into, you it's, know. it's it's visceral, it's raw, 
and it shows that all emotion is completely and utterly suppressed because they have got a job to do on the mm. battlefield. They have saved this person's life, but they've got no time to celebrate because they go, right, he's breathing, dermal team, next. Yeah. We then quickly go back to outside of Pike's quarters where we see Ortega's pacing just outside mm. of Menga comes. He knows. He knows why she's there. And the one thing I will say, and I will... Someone can clip this if you want. Melissa Navia, your ability to display dozens of emotions all at once in just your face mm. to show how a character is truly feeling is amazing. And it is a testament to how good of an actor you are. Yeah. Because holy shit, I love Ortegas and she is funny, yeah. but when she is upset, you see all range of emotions. We see an amazing... We, this episode is fantastic because what we see is we see different variances of, uh, you know, PTSD, like veteran from veterans, but they're all different levels. Mm. So you have Ortegas, who is visibly can't really hold it back. She is very... She doesn't want to be in this situation and she's, like, she doesn't want to... She, she doesn't care that it's like a political thing. She yeah. doesn't care that she needs to be, you know, that it's important for the Federation and that she needs to like put on a face and push through it. She literally is like, no, I don't want to be anywhere near this guy. He's a nutter. Uh, whereas like Chapel is in the middle. Chapel is basically like very having, struggling to sort of contain her feelings, but fully understands why she needs to and is trying. And then Umbenga, who is very careful, who's not letting people see his true feelings, only the people closest to him can see how much it's actually bothering him. But he's doing the thing that Umbenga is Umbenga's character, which is staying strong for other people. Where he is probably on the inside worse than Otegas. He is probably oh, seen worse than Otegas, but he is putting on a face and he is telling her, look, we need to do this, okay? Like, and it's wonderfully done. This whole scene is absolutely wonderfully done because how many times, chat, like, have we been in a situation where we are freaking out, we are panicking, we are having the worst day of our entire lives and we have to put on the brave face and help someone who's probably not having as bad a day as you, but you still do it because they need that? The, yeah. It's wonderfully portrayed, this whole thing. The way, because... When they are when they are at the dinner and the way Chapel is distanced and Spock can sense it, the yeah. way that Jess Bush portrays the the apprehension, the downright hate she has for him. Yeah. Because Spock says you look under duress and you can feel like just looking, you can feel well, how tight she's holding. She is holding a glass of uh, like whiskey or whatnot, and she's holding it right to her chest. Like, yeah, tight. You know, it's literally she's she's going to break the glass practically. Like it's that sort of. Yeah. And, and it's a very much her body language where she's trying, but she's failing at actually hiding her real feelings. Well, this is and Spock picks up on it. But what we have throughout this episode is Spock trying to be involved with human emotions and not being very good at it like and he comes across as really bad in this episode yeah and it's kind of it's a testament to his character where basically he's trying to be human he doesn't quite do it very well and it's like it's like having a child in a situation and exacerbating the problem you know yeah. where basically you're just going like okay cool like mom's upset but but can't deal with you right now 
and we get it throughout this episode where he's trying to help and he's just making things worse whereas what he should be doing is stepping away but he doesn't you know yeah and, and she doesn't want to talk about it at all yeah she, she is that. literally like just leave me alone when, yeah talk to me again when he's off the ship and yet spock is like no let me pry i can help and yeah yeah, and this because, whole scene is very uncomfortable. Well, well, he goes to distract Raf because he's over. He Raf's obviously blagging about his his exploits as an ambassador and all the peace yeah. accords that he's done. So Spock goes over to discuss uh, Sun Tzu's art of war against the the Klingon equivalent, mm. which is taught to children on on. Kronos. I haven't heard this. I, uh, Kirk, I uh, General Kirkby said. Uh, this has been a thing in one of the guides really? or something. Apparently, like well, this book. Kind of thing, and I was like, I've never heard of it. I've, I've never, never heard gone of it that either. Shout out to General uh, Kirky for 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 the beta cannon on that one. Well done. I think so. Yeah. So this allows Umbenga to walk away from the conversation with Ra and join Chapel on the other side of the room. I mean, the way that it's set up on the camera, where there is obvious distance, but they've done it in a way where the bulkhead is sure the the pillar that holds a bulkhead in the quarters mm. is between chapel uh on on this side and umbenga uh, no sorry um chapel and umbenga on one side and ra and the mm. rest of the crew on the other now it's also as well when you look at it it's non-veterans veterans yeah so the non-veterans are having polite pleasant conversations or who is asking about how klingons discuss peace and then the veterans are on the furthest part of the room quiet distance away from the circle isolated which is another yeah. it's another ptsd trait which we saw uh in the episode after ar558 with narg where yeah. he became isolated and distanced from the rest of the crew and what i love about this like the final thing that the chapel says is why is it so hard to explain to people who weren't there yeah and it, it, it hit. But honestly, how could you? Like, how could we, you? We we are kind of privileged in this capacity where we see more than the rest of the crew do. Like when we have these flashbacks where they're literally pumping a man's heart to get him alive again. Like, uh, you know, when they're literally storing people in transport buffers because they literally can't save him any other way. And, you know, and the actual, the constant threat of being killed that they're in, like that the camp will just get taken at any point. And it's so harrowing, these flashbacks. And it's the idea of, yeah, it kind of just goes, how would Chapel explain that? How do you have a casual conversation with someone and convey how horrible that is? You, you can't. And, yeah, you, 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 you genuinely can't. And then obviously you've got people like Ahura and Spock who are just like, oh, get over it. Well, not like that, but, you know, they're very much kind of like, oh, cool, you know, well, you know, just, just ignore it, you know, just pretend it didn't happen. Yeah. You know, and you're just going, no. And mate. they weren't there, so yeah. they, they don't know. Um, back to Jagal, because this episode is obviously present-day flashback, present-day flashback. Mm. The young ensign who, uh, whose life they saved by massaging his heart wakes up, finds out he's from New Angeles on Terra Luna, which is what's called the moon in, in Star Trek. Am I am I dumb? Was Travis from Enterprise from the Moon? I remember oh, he was born he was, in space. He was a space I, boomer. He was born yeah. on the uh, Fortunate. Oh, uh, because because I remember I, I oh, knew he, horizon. Like, he lived in space. I I knew that he sort of like lived in space and never sort of settled on a planet. But I wasn't sure if he was actually like born on the Moon. It, it's in this one where they make Kirk 
born on the moon, isn't it? No, no. Kirk's born Riverside, Iowa. No, yeah, yeah. Riverside, Iowa. Kirk was born. Yeah. Uh, Travis Mayweather, I believe he was born. He was on the Earth cargo ship Fortunate. Because they call him we'll a space. We'll, yeah, yeah. Okay, we'll he was born in a box. Mayweather. But, yeah. <laughs> but no, but I, I think it's really good. And then, so they're basically. He's, Horizon. This, uh, yeah. Ah. This, guy, this, uh, this soldier is basically recovering. And then Omega goes outside. And we see our first topside Andorian of the series, I think. Because we are, well, of all of Strange New World. No, no, no. The Andorians, the Andorians have been in. They were in uh, last last week's the other day's episode um with the two andorians in the bar we have seen oh, andorians okay i'm done yeah, yeah so um, no just because i know hemmer's like in uh an inner Enoch. andorian where they're blind yeah 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 and then uh what is it where's i was just like really good and he this one is called um what's his name trask he's called trask and he works for section 31 doesn't he no he's he's just it's implied he's not well I wouldn't say Section he's 31. He's Secret Services. He's Black Ops. <laughs> he's Secret he's, Service. He's yeah. Black Ops. He's, he's Special Operations for the military. So mm. t- do with it as you will, but there's no yeah, indication I, that he's I, Section I 31. I like this as a nod to Section 31. Yeah. But maybe he's not. You know, but it's the fact of he is... And he basically reveals something that we've suspected about Mbenga, where basically he's like, hey, we need to actually take out the leaders of the Klingon, uh, of the Klingon force, and we need you to do it because you're the best assassin that we have. The ghost. And Menga's like, yeah, the ghost. He's like, no, I'm a doctor now. I can't do that. And it's very much this, you know, and it's the it's the how difficult it is to have morality during war. And that is very much the conflict that Mbenga has here, where he's just going, how do you save lives? Do you save lives in surgery and being a doctor? Or do you save lives by taking the threat away? Yeah. And Trask is trying to pull him in one direction. And he's like, no. I mean, this is the thing, admittedly. Does the, what's it called? The, you know, the doctor's code where, like, do no harm. The Hippocratic Oath. Yeah. Does that exist in Trek? Because yes. we've, because I know that Beverly Crusher does it where she doesn't attack anyone. But, like, the amount of times when Bashir picks up a phaser and the amount of time, like, the doctor doesn't. Well, he probably knocks a couple but, of people out. But, but that, you know, that can be have... argued. That can be argued that that is in self-defense. So the Hippocratic Oath, obviously, yeah. I will do no harm. But there is obviously an element of self-defense in that. Mm. So, I mean, in in, in to in, be fair, I'm, I'm arguing about this now. We semantics. did have an episode where Chapel and Mbenga literally killed a ship. For they went all freebird, yeah. Um, yeah, so, okay, but enough. he also asked, oh, the, my, but, but Trax also asks about Protocol Twelve, which mm. we find out is the name of the drug that Umbenga and Chapel taken in Episode One of Season Two, and he mm. said, "Well, do you have more of the Protocol Twelve? Starfleet don't make it." Yeah, Umbenga's like, "No, no, I don't." And even if I could, anymore. I would. Even if I, you know, even if I could, I wouldn't. And he's like, "Well, my team need, need an edge," and you can see the the the, the desperation in Trax where he's like. We need to do something, and we need yeah. to do something now because they are killing civilians. Yeah. I need anything you, you can give me. And Umbenga just walks away because Umbenga doesn't want to be dragged in. He wants to save lives. He doesn't want to take the lives away. Yeah. but And that's the thing. It's like, yes, they could pump these soldiers full of that drug. And we've seen with, like, 
Chapel, who isn't really a combat person, still managed to beat up a lot of Klingons yep. on that this drug. And it would be amazing, but obviously Umbenga's kind of like, hey, I kind of don't want to lead to something that's going to have a lot of people killed, but it's war, and that's the moral quandary here. Also, this is a silly thing. Like, I, I, I got a bit annoyed by, when we go into this scene, we have laser cannons firing, okay, where they're firing laser cannons. And yet, like, I thought it was all phasers back then. No, like, I thought it was all, like, cannons. constant beams rather than... No, well, you no, know, you... A beam you, rather than a you, blast. You can, you can get burst. So you, you can get a phaser beam or you can get a phaser mm. burst. Right. I, so, I didn't know that, but I was I was kind of like, yeah. oh, that's a bit other sci-fi, not, like, Trek, necessarily. You, you, have, you, can, you can have one or the other, but obviously... In the next generation and stuff like that, it was it was and and the original series obviously it was like phaser beams and stuff like yeah. that. But in later Star Trek, as digital effects improved, yeah, you then got the the phaser bursts. But that was it. That's why I thought that in this timeline they hadn't done that yet. They didn't no. do burst technology, and that it's later on that they go, oh cool, we've got different missiles. We got yeah. Anyway, it it was that. So anyway, the dinner scene part two. Where Ra is talking about the negotiations that he's just had to do on a Prospero between these these three uh, civilizations, and he mentions that Jagal changed him, and this is where Umbenga, who has been gripping very tightly the side of the chair, pops yeah. up and says, "Jagal changed a lot of us," and this is where Ra immediately twigs. Yeah, that that Umbenga was at Jagal. The tension you can cut with a knife within this scene. Pike can feel it and Una can feel it. Ortegas then asks, was it true what he had to do to escape? Which, as mentioned earlier, was kill his own officers, kill his own people. And then she goes on about the Klingon scene, which sort of started, again, started Star Trek Discovery, which is remain Klingon. Remain Klingon. And she said that's all she used to hear through the comms remain Klingon and then the attacks would start the you know her yeah. friends would die the the way that Melissa Navia plays this where she's just at that cusp of an outburst and where the way Pike uh, and Una where Una just says stand down lieutenant yeah. the way that it's the way that Una carries it in a, in a calm but assertive manner and it just the way that the, yeah. the elastic band is stretched, but not to a point of breaking throughout this scene. Ortegas walks out. Mm. Chapel goes after her because that's her excuse to leave. And then, uh, Ra, I mean, that's it because Ortegas literally storms out like she she's does. not meant to, and she she doesn't storms even out, excuse herself. But then Chapel basically just goes, "I better go and make sure that she's okay," and just takes it because she's. She's this close to being like Ortega's. And then uh, and then basically Pike looks at Umbenga, yeah. notices how tightly he's gripping the chair, how much he's struggling, and basically goes, hey, do you want to check on Ortega's as well? And Umbenga accepts the offer. And But then Ra grabs him on the way out, yeah. firmly by the, by the arm as well, as you can see. And the way that, Ortega, uh, the way that Umbenga looks as he does it mm. as well... Ra asks Umbenga uh, if he would like to do a sparring match with some Klingon judo, 
There is a Klingon name for it, but I'll be damned if I can pronounce it when I'm this tired. Tiddlywinks. Tiddlywinks. Uh, Klingon yeah. Tiddlywinks. Uh, if they were spelled... <laughs> I didn't actually write this down. I wrote down all the other fancy yeah, words. Yeah, I But I didn't write, write down, down the name of this sport. Because uh, I thought you'd have it. I was like, I, oh, good. No, I, I did that. not have subtitles <laughs> on. What are you on about? Uh, Just me leaning, leaning on your expertise all the time. So... Umenga very quietly says, I will have to check my schedule and walks out. Yeah. Back to Jagal, the flashback, we see the young ensign whose life they saved just sat outside the the barracks, the, the, the mash camp, just mm. sat there and Umbenga immediately comes over and goes, you should be in bed. And we get this beautiful exchange between them both because he goes, what are we doing here? What yeah. are we doing here, Doc? And Omega goes, why did you join Starfleet? I joined Starfleet to explore, to learn. Nothing of what I've, you know, that's not not what I've been doing lately. That's None of us have yeah. been doing that. Umbenga states that he joined because he wanted to find new ways of healing people, new treatments, mm. new medicines. He, rightly or wrongly, compares the Klingons to a disease, a disease mm. that is spreading and that will not stop if these colonies fall, they will not go back to Kronos. They are a disease that needs to be stopped. And he encourages mm. the, the, the ensign to remember what they are fighting for. Remember the home that they love, the people they love. We need to fight for where we live and who we love so these people can live in peace. Mm. I have to say, I didn't get the name of the young ensign, the, 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 the actor who played the young ensign, but... Holy yeah. shit! What a performance for a young kid. But this, is it, this is it. He's he's very he's very prominent. He's he like asserts himself really really well, considering that he's only in two scenes and one of them he's unconscious. Two three scenes. <laughs> so yeah, yeah. Like, yeah. The next like scene. Three though, scenes and two of them he's actually talking, but the, he's still you know. The next scene, though, I will say shout out to a friend of Trekking Up North, Damon, Canadian actor, who's been in our chat previously. Damon is in this episode, in this scene. He is a background yeah. actor. He plays one of the Federation soldiers. So, Damon, shout out to you. Love it when you uh, are able to to come onto the show because we would love to talk about your experiences uh, being in this episode. He's in it. And I'm like, holy shit, I know someone who's been in Star Trek. It's so good. Well, we know, we know quite a few people now. It's getting a bit scary. I know. But it's like, we'll, we'll be from, working from doing all this. But, yeah. but no, like, how good is it? I want to see what the uniform was like. Like, you know, because, you know, this scene. I've got an where, image like, for you. Yes. This I is know. what I, I, I love about stuff where you realize, whoa, this is literally like a minute long scene, I think. Well, no, maybe minute, two minute long this probably took a day this probably took about like sort of 12 hours to do just this like with the ar wall thing. and all the scene and everything yeah, yeah. like that yeah all, because all that stuff like you know the fact of they would have been there for a very long time in costume for something that effectively is a very small scene and that's the scariness of what actors need to go through support the strikes and what their writers need to sort of shout, build. shout out shout out to damon damon if you are listening sir which i know you will be does that mean he's ferengi if he's called damon no, he's Canadian. Half halfway there. Wow. They've got money over there. Damon, once the strike <laughs> is over, come on the show. We would love to talk to you about your love of Star Trek and obviously being on Star Trek because, <laughs> holy shit, you are living the dream, sir. You are living the dream that we all aspire oh. to have. We'll, we'll, we'll get it sorted, but it's like... We will uh, get it sorted, yeah. Well, the next scene after this... This is, this is, is, well, this no, is essentially yeah. they are going over the top. 
This is, mm. they have received the word and the word is now. The whole outfit is going over. They have been given the orders to take down the Klingon leaders. And as they are taking down the Klingon leaders, a battalion, a, a, a troop, will be going to the colony Athos, which is on uh, Jagal, to do an offensive there, to sort of divert the forces, the majority of the forces, to Athos, whilst the special ops teams go after the Klingon leaders. It's, it's a very textbook. However, this is where we see this young ensign suited and booted. Yeah, and he's a, literally not even healed yet. He's not he's even healed. Got, yeah, he's, he's, he's suited up and he's willing... And there, you know, and Umbenga points out to him, this is a suicide mission. Like, it it's is. literally, it's purely there to they are meat for the grinder. while we do a main offender. The yeah, they fodder. describe it as meat for the grinder. And it's the idea of Umbenga's like, look, we just had a whole discussion about, like, you know, how you don't want to be here. And yet this, uh, this like, soldier is effectively like, no, I'm going to do it. I need to do it. Uh, you know, and he knows he's going to die. And, you know, we're just going... Well, okay, how is Mbenga this fucked up? Oh, you know, yeah. oh, this kind of stuff. Adam Adam Bailey just said there, did you notice the troops had red shirts? Yes, I did, Adam. And again, <laughs> this is, it's it's a whole issue with the uniforms. Sean has mentioned this on Trek Culture as well about the uniforms because really they should be in disco era uh, uniforms for the, for the time. But I know it means discovery, but it still feels disco, weird. Yeah. Disco era. <laughs> Try having a t-shirt. I've got the disco t-shirt because I'm going to get Retos and I'm going to get Gazer and everything like that. But I've got a disco t-shirt. And every time I wear it at work, they're like, are you a fan of disco? And I'm like, no, no, it's a it's Star Trek yeah. thing. Um, but yeah, so I absolutely noticed that, Adam. And yes, there, it is an issue and it has been an issue throughout the season. I'm going to let it slide because budget that's all i'm gonna say budget I, I think i think there'll be a reason like it's it'll be, be a reason to, it'll be interesting to speak to them like maybe shuttle pod show or whatever will get like um the actual uh designers on and basically go why did you do this and uh, you know and then or maybe damon they'll... can fill us in but that's it maybe they're just like no there's a valid reason for this because it's yeah, you know yeah. so, they ran out of other colors <laughs> so this is a suicide mission for this young ensign back on the enterprise uh we see chapel and spock in the corridor Spock yeah, apologizes. This, this whole scene is basically what I was saying about earlier, where Spock apologizes, but he just this whole scene is him making it worse. It's him trying to help, getting more involved than he should be, and Chapel is like, "Look, I just don't want to talk about it." So what we're kind of seeing is he's left to Pring uh, to basically sort of be with Chapel. He's taking a break there to explore this like potential relationship with Chapel, and we're seeing how doomed it is. Like yeah. last week, we found out that, you know, Chapel found out that it doesn't last and she knows that. Yeah. And then this week, we're seeing Spock struggling with comprehending her troubles and being able to help with her troubles. Yeah. And effectively, we're seeing him be very, uh, you know, you know, everyone's got it in a relationship where you literally just go, just leave me alone. Okay. I, I, I love you, but just leave me alone today. <laughs> you know, he's, he's, obviously inexperienced and he just makes the decision because she just says i just want to be alone and he goes oh so that's alone for me walks away and just walks away to that pit of he makes it about himself yes. he makes her struggle into oh it must be a problem with me and it's like no you are not even part of this just go away and I, but see, look how passionately I'm talking about this and how well it is written. Like the idea that we have the dialogue and the acting as good as 
it is to do this scene in order to have me calling, you know, when, when, we, when we look at other shows, like, mm, I won't mention it, but it starts with a B and ends with a five, uh, where characters just change every single episode Big and Brother have five. no consistency whatsoever. Are, are you on about Big and Brother 5? That's this, a hell of a callback. These <laughs> wonderful like, these wonderful uh, characters. But anyway, sorry. Yeah, Babylon 5. But anyway, so... Um... <laughs> <laughs> also be nice there's got to be at least five people who like Babylon. ah because it's Babylon five <laughs> um so we get the judo scene between ra and umbenga another great mm. tension building scene um they start sparring and umbenga states that ra is uh making putting the past behind him look easy and then yeah. ra makes a proposal he's like look we need to work together. We don't have to be friends. But if two people, two survivors of Jagal, join forces for the next peace conference and show how Klingons and the Federation can work together, it will make us... Essentially, what he said is it's making us look good and it will help strengthen relations between the Klingon Empire and the United Federation of Planets. All this while sparring is going on. And then Umbenga asks Ra, did he really kill his own men to escape Jagal? And we yeah. see a few uh, flashbacks. But Ra states, the decision to kill civilians and non-Klingon civilians and soldiers was his men's decision. And he could not live with that. So Ra killed his own men and then escaped because, and he, you know, obviously he was appalled by the atrocities that were caused, and you know, this is what ultimately led to his defector. And Umbenga asks, out of all the warriors, who fought the hardest? Mm. And he waits a while, and then Ra goes, Kith. But he stood up for what was right so that his brethren. Uh, what, what was right, he stood up for the nameless and it ended up that his brethren called him the Butcher of Jagal. They mm. fight and they fight and this is where almost Umbenga starts to lose his cool because no one punches in judo and he gets to that yeah, close. It, it's this idea of the, the tension throughout this fight and it's, and it, and it's wonderfully posed as well because I know that... Uh, uh, forgotten his name uh, Ra Ra has like a leg injury because he has like a little cane that he uses to walk but then what happens is in this scene we have it where he is posed juxtaposed in the center of the scene and he doesn't move Ra literally Umbenga comes to Ra Umbenga is the one on the offensive and Ra is the one calm dealing with his blows and stuff and like trading them off and then pushing a bit Umbenga away yeah. and over the course of the scene we eventually you know, and that's basically the dynamic between the two of them. It's very much Umbenga trying to get information out of Ra and Ra being like, nope, you know, here is the story. I'm sticking to it. And, you know, like basically putting a face on and it's just wonderfully done. But then Umbenga gets so close to just punching him in the face and manages to stop himself. But yeah, but then Ra, um, yeah, Ra, Ra basically just goes, oh, well, I've got to go now. <laughs> and then Adam says he's got an issue um, uh, with the gowns. Um, mm. So do Klingons use Earth-inspired judo geez? Is it G? Forgive me, I've, I've never I think it's geez. Geez, sorry, my I think, mistake. I think it is, um, I think so. Or are the Earth ones that they made the Klingon wear for the spa? I'm guessing Earth ones. 
Yeah, it, it doesn't seem like Klingon yeah, clothing. I'm, this. I'm guessing they've, they've obviously just used Judor outfit. Yeah. I mean, I, I am... Again, I am just guessing that Klingon geese will be far more armoured and pointy. However, yeah. <laughs> in the sonic shower, we see Umbenga again. Also, I just want to say, we have a scene here, Umbenga in the sonic shower. Is this the first time we've ever seen a sonic shower being no. used? No. Oh, right. Because okay. no. I literally was like... They've always been a thing throughout Trek. They've always been there that they have sonic showers where they vibrate the dirt off you, I assume. We first saw However, them in the motion picture. With, oh, uh, right, okay. That, it's yeah. probably one of the ones that I haven't seen. But it's, it's only, it's only I, I dare say, three or four times throughout 60 years that we've seen a sonic shower. Yeah. Like, um, I don't remember them from any of the mainline yeah, shows. Yeah, yeah. Like, so, they're, they're talked of. But... but more PTSD flashbacks, more palpitations from Rumbenga. The... It's harrowing because you hear the explosion. I mean, I had headphones on and to hear the the screams of children, women. You can when you've got it in surround sound on your head, and you <laughs> hear the like the the sort like med um, medical professionals, doctors and stuff saying, "Oh my God, they're killing kids." And then Chapel yeah. says it. Chapel says it. You know, they're killing children now. And then you see Umbenga going through the body bags and seeing the young ensign on the slab with his throat cut. Yeah. And you see him take the knife and yeah. then you hear Trax's the, voice the... in the background saying, you're the ghost. I need you. I need yeah. you. You are so the ghost. So what, what he does is the ens the ensign has, well, the, the soldier has had his uh, throat slit and the Klingon dagger that did it is lying on his Because Trax dies. Have it yeah, yeah. Tra and, Trax is killed. And Mbenga takes up specifically a Klingon dagger and this is very ceremonial where, you know, like we've had it with a lot of Worf in DS9 where it shows like, you know, how important these daggers are because it suggests that he killed, he did kill the guy who got him, doesn't it? If he has their dagger. Or kill someone, yeah. Klingons don't someone. give up the dagger, but if you kill a Klingon and you take the dagger, you're basically going, hey, okay, I've taken your honour, or, you know. Yeah, yeah, he has died without honour. Yeah, yeah. Um. So, yeah, so he takes a Klingon knife, and that's it. That's all we see for that scene. Back in the ready room, uh, really quick scene between Una and Pike. Una comes in, goes the morale is absolutely atrocious on this ship i want to alter course to go through the the chentico nebula because it'll just reduce our trip and we can just offload this ambassador by tomorrow because it is the the, the morale is atrocious well we we've seen like three of the superior officers like three of the head officers who have a serious problem with ra and we don't see it, but it's implied that there's a lot more people on the yes. crew. Like, a lot more people on the crew feel exactly the same way, where even if they're not interacting with him, they're still, I'm not happy with that guy specifically. And then there'll be other ones who just don't like Klingons. So it's the idea of, yeah, they need him off the ship because everyone, you know, they're going to have a revolt at this point because everyone hates him. But even, even Pike says, you know, Pike being Pike, being the, the ever diplomatic Federation captain, how can we represent a Federation that believes in peace when we can't, uh, well, um, when we can say that some people can't make up for the past? Yeah. And it's like, Pike is, Pike is this the This is dreamer. the whole thing. It, it's the idea of how long until someone can be forgiven for their crimes. 
Yeah. Like, it's the idea of, you know, like... Because the whole point of this episode is basically the idea of, you know, we're used to kind of, oh, well, things happen in war. Oh, the war's over now. Oh, well, back to normal. Everyone's forgiven. And you're like, no, no, you can't just, you know... Imagine the people that got killed on like the last day of World War Two, and then just the next day it's like, okay, Germans are friends now because the war's over. And yeah. you're like, what? You can't. You know, like I, I, I'm pretty sure that's a hard, you know, sell to a lot of people. And that's exactly what we have here, where we're going, oh well, the war's over, so they're not bad. They're not like our enemies anymore. And you're like, yeah, but they just killed lots of people. <laughs> you know, it's one of the final scenes we see back in Jugal. Umbenga is getting ready to finish the mission. He takes Protocol Twelve. With hold him. on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Before this, we had a scene before the Sonic Sonic Shower that is, I think it is the most frightening scene in the whole film, in the in the whole episode, where basically they have oh, another yes. they, they have another transport of uh, bodies in, where they basically they're getting fuck tons of injured coming in, and there's not enough space on the actual. They need to basically there's not enough space left on the computer and there's a problem with the transporter and they need to basically switch it off and on again in order to get it working. And uh, obviously the, the, the guy is just, the, the head is just like going, oh yeah, yeah, cool, just re, you know turn it off and on again, it'll be fine. But then Umbenga points out that that'll erase the transport buffer and it'll uh, effectively kill and delete from existence the guy that they stored in there and the implied people that are also in there that Umbenga stored in. So effectively, this could be genocide. Uh, and basically, Chapel is Chapel is freaking out about it because they they have to get these troops down. They have because otherwise they're gonna die. And she's and it's so horrible because basically, once again, Umbenga staying strong for other people. Where Chapel is there, she has the button to reset the computer and she can't do it. And Umbenga just presses it straight for her. away as well. Yeah, straight away he just presses it because he knows that guy he was he should have died when he landed on the transporter and the other ones are probably in equally bad shape and they have to make the decision to save the people that are coming in. The now needs of the many might be able to be saved. Yeah. Yeah. And it's very much that. And it's showing the hard decisions that we have at war. It's really crazy actually, because I was literally just listening to um a podcast the other day and it was talking about the 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 perils of war and stuff like that and all of the stuff but it was also talking about propaganda and how how the military in america especially because they get so much involvement in films because they go hey you can borrow all of this stuff so you can borrow our uh, like our planes you can borrow our things you can have actual soldiers as extras and stuff however we'd like to make sure that the script is okay and then they'll basically you know They'll get the hard edges off and they'll basically... Paint them in a good light. Yeah, Yeah. they'll put the military in a good light and they'll basically soften things up a bit. Yeah. And it was pointing out, like, you know, how difficult it is to portray the horribleness of war. And yet here we kind of get a very good attempt at it of going, you have to do fucking horrible stuff. You... And this is the tipping point. This is the tipping point from Bengo, I think, where basically just goes, you can't have the moral high ground in a war. Yeah. And... He doesn't want to. He doesn't want to kill people. He doesn't want to go back to what he used to do. He's a doctor now, but he realizes, yeah, we, we have, have to a job this. to do. This is the only way to do it, so we will do it. It's and as simple as that. We get the next scene we get with him, 
where you see him with the Protocol 12, which we've seen will make him into an absolute killing, unstoppable killing machine. He has the Klingon knife and he heads off. But he gives uh, he Chapel he gives Chapel yeah. the box with another one, and he says, "If they breach, if the Klingons breach the line, you take this and use it to run to escape. Yeah. You use Protocol Twelve. This is into this is which into... is showing that he has a supply in it. Yeah, and he told Trask specifically he doesn't have any, but you'll give it to oh, yeah. Chapel. But this is interwoven with a, a scene in the sick bay where Ra walks in to sick bay." to try and reason and to try and speak to Umbenga. And Umbenga, very calmly, I don't want to speak to you. Please go away. Yeah. You know, and Ra is is trying to reason with him, trying to reason with Umbenga, make amends for what happened. And this is the one of the very, very few times you hear Umbenga shout, yeah. which is all the more poignant for what he is on about because Mbenga accuses Ra of giving the order to kill everyone but Klingons, to kill civilians, to kill children. Which is exactly what uh, Ra said that he didn't do. Yeah. He said that his men did that yep. and he attacked them for it, whereas Mbenga basically says, no, it was you. And, and then Ra's basically going, how would you know that? And Mbenga literally goes, because I'm the person. Yeah, because he said, well, he said, well, what he says, because it's a good plot, is because he goes, Kif didn't fight the hardest. Yeah. And that's when you see the flashbacks and holy shit, stabbing yeah. that Klingon in the head. Yeah, we literally, so what, basically he says to Ra, Kif didn't fight the hardest. And then it cuts to Umbenga literally murdering a room full of Klingon generals. Yeah. Uh, and Ra, like, getting away. And the ball drops for Ra, where he realizes that his actual charade, effectively, it won't work because Mbenga was there. He was the, the butcher of Jagan. Yeah, knows that Ra was the person who ordered to women and children to get killed, who had no, no sympathy for anyone, and then cowardly ran away from the battle as soon as Mbenga showed up and started killing everyone. Yeah. And, and it's it's that idea of just going, so effectively what happens next we just need to phrase it in this way of ra is a piece of shit like yeah because even in terms of he's a klingon without honor who ran away from battle who murdered women and children and you know the only reason he's still there is because umbenga didn't get because um because uh, his men slowed umbenga down because umbenga says because <laughs> umbenga says quote i looked for you and now here you are using the blood on my hands to make yourself a saint. And even then, Rai's still trying to defend by saying, they need saints. I look need at the to work be a... I've done. Yeah. Look, look at these nice things that I've done. I'm, I'm helping peace. And yeah. It might be true, but it's a lie. But this is, this is, uh, this is the, one of the few issues I have. Did you see a tear going down Ra's face? Because if you did, I've got an issue with that because Klingons don't have tear ducts. I didn't. I didn't actually see it at all. I thought uh, it was. I was hoping it cried, but then, like, because remember the Facebook uh, like page data uh, posted yeah. like a, a thing about oh, and Benga's crying, but then we don't like it on Michael Burnham or whatever. And I was like, don't really agree with this one, but I know he's like trying to trigger people. But you know, I know it's like a troll post. But it's, I don't remember seeing Umbenga actually cry during this. Like, I he's can't. Freaked out, but I don't remember him actually 
crying. I can't remember but it, but either I, way, I yeah. understand it if he was. I would I hope. I would hope it's sweat from Ra for realizing that he's basically being pulled yeah. up on his bullshit. And the one of the final things that that Umbenga says, where he's just like, "I told you to 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 leave. I told you to leave me alone." And then we just see very slowly the opening of the of the case. Yeah. Uh, with basically, Umbenga has his medical case behind him, and he turns turns from Ra and then opens it slowly. And then we see a very blurred. This is quite cleverly done. Well, so... what happens is we see in the case that at the top of the case is the Klingon dagger. It's mm-hmm. the Klingon dagger that not that he basically took from the soldier's body and then used to kill all of the Klingon generals. And we just see it there. He doesn't pick it up. But then what we see is we see nurse we see uh, a shot from behind a screen. It's behind the blurred screens in his office. Yeah. So they, so they set it up where you don't know how they are fighting and what's going on. Chapel yeah. is but in the same they, room they as them. They are fighting, but it's blurred. We can't yeah. see specifically. So we kind of see silhouettes rather than them. So we're not sure what's going on. Chapel Chapel is in the same room as Umbenga and Ra. She sees what's going on. We, the audience, don't because we are in the... we, we The scene is shot from the perspective of us being in Umbenga's office where the blurred screen is. Yeah. So we can't see it. There's a bit of an altercation. We hear the... the penetration of a knife and Ra falls to the ground. The camera then goes back into the sick bay where we see the knife plunged into Ra's heart and that's it. Ra is dead. Mm. That is it. The next scene is Chapel testifying to Pike and La'an. She saw the whole thing. Ra wanted to talk to Mbenga um, about the war he didn't want to talk he didn't want to be involved with a war criminal he was asking him to be you know like join him and you know be this symbol of peace between the klingons and and the federation and chapel basically said ra didn't take that very well there was an altercation and ra went to attack umbenga yeah and umbenga defended himself all the while yeah. in the background, there's a DNA analysis on the knife, the dagger, yeah. which confirms... It is. It's in the back of the screen behind them. It literally has a DNA analysis, and then they go into it, and then we find it confirms out that the blood that the only, on it. Yeah, the only DNA present is the three Klingons that were killed and Ra. Bearing in mind that the crew still believed that it was Ra that killed his officers so he could escape. So there is no trace of DNA on Umbenga, uh, yeah. on the knife from Umbenga. So, so basically, yeah, so what happens is Ra's story is actually turned on himself, where basically Pike and Una are looking at the evidence and they're like, yeah, it totally tallies. It corroborates. It was, it was, yeah. it was Ra's knife, it was Ra's knife that he brought with him into Sick Bay. He, we can tell this because it stabbed the people that he said that he stabbed, and then Umbenga had obviously wrestled it off him and then stabbed him uh, raw with it in self-defense. And this is what's amazing about this episode because it's another in the pale moonlight, yep. which is what I love about Trek, where basically bad actions are taken because they need to be taken. Yep. And effectively, this is Umbenga... Yeah, like what Adam's saying in the chat, uh, Mbenga left the dagger, so did the Klingon pick it up? No. I think Mbenga picked up the dagger and stabbed Rara straight in the fucking chest. 
and I think it, it is. It's murder for Mandenga, but it's basically closing this arc where that's what he intended to do all those years ago. He didn't get to do it then, and he should have done it then. And it's kind of, yeah, it's a weird kind of closure thing of basically maybe some people shouldn't be forgiven. Well, this you is know, what Mbenga says in the, the final gray scene. area of the episode. This is what Mbenga says in the final scene because Pike sort of confronts him in a way yeah. in sickbay. As... Well, well, Pike is like, this is a bit too neat and it seems a bit weird Yeah, and I'm not quite happy with things. Like, he's very much kind of, oh, well, that tallies, you know. He said that tallies and stuff, there'll be an investigation. Yeah, there'll be yeah. an investigation, but you will be cleared because there is no evidence to suggest, the, you know, anything else because there is no DNA. Uh, there's a witness that corroborates, blah, 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 blah. Mbenga states that he didn't start the fight and Ra was living a lie. And, um, you know, and he saw his true face. And yeah. basically, Pike, who is still, yes, he's ex- he's an experienced captain, but like, he he just basically says that Pike, you did not live my life. You mm. you don't know what we went through. You still believe that people can be forgiven. What if people? What if some people cannot be forgiven for what they do? What if I told you that it was Ra himself who killed children? Was yeah. it justice? What happened to him for that? Did the diplomatic corps know who he was and they still let him represent the Federation? You know, where is the justice for the victims of the massacre at Athos and and Jigal? Where is the justice? Where is the line? Yeah. And I I really like this because Omenga is on... Uh, he's unrepenting. No, he's like, not. He, 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 he's... he's like we see that Chapel will lie. We've seen that Chapel will lie from Benga, and she's like, "Oh, this is what happened," and she's lying to Pike. She's effectively yeah. going, "Oh yeah, it was self-defense," but then Mbenga is literally just going, "Don't, don't ask me questions you don't want the answer to." And he, throughout this entire scene, he is very much like, "I'm glad he's dead. I killed him. He needed to die," and it's very much this kind of attitude of going, "Look." there can't be forgiveness for everyone. And it's this idea of... Because this is the, the, the grey area we get where after wars, what happens? Like, after... like This is the scary thing. We have, like, Oppenheimer, like, you know, where, where we get into this thing. Not Oppenheimer, but basically, like... Hunters get it on where, Amazon Prime. Yeah, yeah, that's it, exactly, where we had a lot of sort of people who performed war crimes during the Second World War, and then because they have benefit to other people, they are forgiven. They are literally like, oh, well, actually, because you've got enough money, you know, you're spared. Oh, because you have scientific knowledge. Such the NASA as... program. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Because, you know, program. oh, you will help us get into space or whatnot. Or, oh, you can help us in a time of need kind of thing. We'll forgive you for these things. But does that actually take their sin away? Yeah. Does that actually... And that and that's it. And the whole point is that there isn't a happy answer to this. There no. isn't a good answer. There's not, like, a bad answer. And that's because... The world's like that. The world is shades of grey. And this is what I love most about Trek. This is why I love DS9, because people complain about it. They're like, oh, Cisco, he, he did all those horrible things and he just turned a blind eye while these other things are happening. And oh, Kira's a terrorist. And you're like, yeah, that needs to happen. You but know, the ends justified the means. Yeah, history is written by the victors. Yeah. And it's the idea of the most important thing there 
was Mbenga saving other people. And while Ra might not seem like a threat now, he isn't reformed. No. Like, he... he it is a mask that he's wearing. It's a, it's a huge facade, thing. absolutely. Yeah, it's, a, it's a huge facade, and it's also the idea of he's lying to save himself. The same yeah. way that we have, like, Nazi war criminals who are like, oh, I wasn't in the army. Oh, no, I, you know, oh, well, I, I drove a truck. I was never done that. And then it turns out that they were, like, the head of Dachau, yeah. you know, like, concentration camp. And you're just going, oh, okay, right. So, you know, a bit of justice needed there. The episode ends with another personal log from Lumbenga confirming that Biobed 2 is operational, at least for now. It's only a matter of time before it shuts down again. Something, it's a wonderful metaphor. Yeah, something's breaking. Bengers. Something's <laughs> breaking away that can never be repaired, only managed, and that is how this episode ends. Straight to credits. Holy shit! Like to, and I mentioned this at the beginning of the episode, and I mentioned this on Twitter. The way this series can pivot on a dime, its tone, its attitude is unbelievable and they have my highest respects for it because this is sandwiched let's not forget this is sandwiched between those old scientists the big crossover and subspace rhapsody star trek's first ever musical you have got an episode so fucking grounded that everyone is saying the siege of ar558 in the pale moonlight Mm. this I I absolutely this is one of my probably all time favorite episodes. I'm gonna say that, and I said this last week as well. I'm probably gonna say it next week as well because <laughs> god damn it, they just there's no how, there's how no good breaks. Is the show though that we're like this that we're literally yeah. There is no it, breaks. This is the same for Star Trek Picard season three. There was no breaks on that. It was just constant high yeah. quality, higher, higher, higher. So and, God, and that's it. That's exactly what Strangely World is, where it's the fact of, like, with Picard Season 3, we had two episodes where I was like, oh, they were okay. Yeah. And when that's the worst thing I can say about it, Mm. that's terrifying how good Season 3 is and how good all of Strange New Worlds has been so far. Like, it's, it's a testament to the writers for keeping characters consistent and believable and the actors by, like, like, Ortegas was comedy. Like, Ortegas was a comedy character a week ago uh, and then, well, no, not even that because they bloody released it early. But you know, like a, a comedy character then, and then in this one, they are the picture of PTSD. And then Umbenga is like, you know, in like you know, the last episode that we just had ends on Umbenga being like, "What the fuck is going on? What's the line that he says? What is in this drink?" Yeah, that's it. He's like, "What is in this oh, drink?" Yeah, it ends with a joke about Umbenga, and then immediately we're thrown into a very, very serious episode about Umbenga's past, and it's just wow. It, you know, like, I, I'm yeah. near tears talking about this episode because, like, I can't understand. You know, I can't comprehend the horrors of war. I can't no. tell what it must be like for people and stuff. But the idea of stuff written like this, I feel, gives me a glimpse, or at least it opens me up to be that's a bad time to have have a, have a breath but it opens me up to being empathetic and sympathizing with people who have been through that yeah. in the way that like this episode demonstrates what spock's like where he's handling it so shitly where he's doing such a crap job of empathizing and i feel that's how i must be with people and this episode makes me go like okay i'm just going to listen how does that yeah. sound <laughs> 
guys, that was our review of episode eight of season two, Strange New Worlds. I would like to thank Watch it. Watch it. Yeah. If you I, haven't already, watch it. You I would like spoiled to, it, but watch it. I would like to thank everyone who's joined us in the live chat today. We've got a ooh, first time chatter called Vanita. Hi, hi, dude. Hope you're well. Hello, Vanita. Hello. Uh, I would like to thank Adam, Beth, Sarah, Chris, Lee, uh, Paul, you, Spectrum ooh. Sanctorum, Joe, everyone who's joined in the live chat. Uh, if you are watching this on recording, please leave a comment below. Uh, tell me and tell us what, what you thought about this episode, if you have seen it, uh, whether you liked it or not. Um, just comment below and tell us what you thought about it. Next week, yeah. we will be back uh, live 7.30pm British Standard Time. That is 2.30pm in the afternoon Eastern Time, 11.30am Pacific Time. In the United For the fucking musical episode. Subspace Rhapsody. I don't know what to think about there this. May be, there may be some singing. <laughs> okay, maybe. Okay. And I also... Say, I, I was talking to General Kirby earlier, like I said, and they really aren't looking forward to this episode. They really? were actually saying they hate musical episodes of stuff. And I was like... Good lord, <laughs> I do because I love the buff. I love the Buffy thing that I think I think started it out. Like started off like the Buffy episode. The musical episode of Supernatural was amazing. Didn't uh, did Firefly do one? No, no, Scrubs did. Scrubs, yeah, no. I, well, the Scrubs one was it musical? I know they had a little respect playing all the time. No, was no, it was, it was it was the one where they go like, and it's guy love between two guys. Oh right, yeah, that one, there, yeah. But that's it, um, and it's become like a trope now. But I love it. I this genuinely, is... I will suspend disbelief for an episode to go. Hey, fuck it, we want a musical look, episode. Look, Star Trek <laughs> is quite literally boldly going where it has never been before. I am here for it. We are going to watch it. We are going to review it. I may, may sing my opening monologue. Good Lord. <laughs> because I love you guys and I love making you laugh. Can, well, I, we... can, I, can I sing? And I'd be like, I like to push the pram along. Of course. Good. We will be back next week, as I said at the times mentioned there, 7.30pm British Standard Time. Nerdy Up North will be back on Sunday with a new podcast episode, which is which about... Is, uh, about Which is quite great because it's a weird crossover again. We're talking about it's same as Anik, I guess. But uh, basically, uh, on Sunday, it, I will be back. Well, I won't be there, but the Velvet Snatch will be there. <gasps> oh, my. Uh, along with the Girl Global crew of Thotter, Stew and Jim Bunny Glenn uh, will be joining Paul and Sammy for an episode about RuPaul's Drag Race, where we will be talking about... Uh, I don't know how we're going to talk about it, if we're perfectly honest, because effectively we have like two or three hours to talk about a show that's had about 25 seasons. Oh, you can <laughs> do it. You can do it. We will have Monsters Up North on Monday. You will have me back on Twitch on Tuesday, 6.30pm British Standard Time on a Nerdy Up North Twitch channel. I will be reading some Sonic fan fiction and maybe playing a video game, because apparently... You guys prefer one to the other. <laughs> if you don't follow us on YouTube, what are you doing? Give us a subscribe. Click that like button. Tickle the bell. Give the bell a, Ooh, give the me, bell a good a tickle. Squeeze, you know, it really helps the algorithm. You can follow Nerdy Up North on everything on the description below. If you like us, you will love the Shuttle Pod Show, Trek Culture, Spectrum Sanctorum, the Clone Star Podcast, and... 
our gorgeous 16 and a half foot musician, our mm. house musician, Adam. All of his links are down there below. If you want to follow me on and Twitter, I am Goodwill None. And the Velvet mm. Snatch, I believe, yeah. is done. And finally, uh, just after this, like literally we're doing it at half nine, I will be on Twitch, we will be streaming Final Fantasy VIII, and we will be having my pizza party, where if you have pizza in the house, put it in the oven or order it from takeaway. My pizza has literally just arrived because I could hear, hear <gasps> the knocking on the door there. So I told him to leave it on the doorstep if I don't answer. Fingers crossed. Uh, although, might forget. But yeah. Uh, so we do that, so please tune in to twitch.tv forward slash Sinoise. The link is in the description below. And join me in about 10 minutes on Twitch, and we will be playing that. So that'll be fun. <laughs> anyway, that's that's, that's it for us this week, guys. So until next week. I don't, I don't have a sound effect. Beep, beep. <laughs> Miles? Miles. Captain Goodwill to USS Adequate. Two to beam up. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Miles. Miles. <laughs>